What if health research and clinical trials were seamless, efficient and patient-centric? What if recruitment for these trials was no longer a daunting task, but a streamlined and accessible process? What is it actually like today? And what could the future be? And what stands in the way of making this a reality? We could be using technology to its fullest potential to enhance clinical trial recruitment and efficiency. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Anthony Murray, Head of Growth at Opal, who are revolutionising health research and clinical trials using their digital-focused recruitment platform, Open, and AI-driven analysis portal, TrialKey. And in this episode, we talk about why Australian patients and trial participants are facing fewer opportunities to contribute than ever, why medical and digital literacy remain significant barriers for trial participation, and how health research is underestimates some key elements in the trial recruitment process, which ends up wasting a lot of money. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it up. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Hey, Anthony, how are you? Hi, Pete. Very good. Good. Yes, super duper. Great to be talking to you here on the Talking Health Tech podcast. And it's great to, to be able to check in uh, on, on the work happening with Opal and other parts that, that you're operating within the ecosystem as well. Introduce yourself, set the scene, tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thank you. Um, great to talk with you. I'm Anthony Murray, uh, English accent, have been very lucky to be in Australia for 10 years. I um, spent 11 with Global Data Life Sciences, so a um, data analytics company that work across um, various different levels of innovation and investment. Um, spent some time with a Sydney CRO and a fantastic organisation called the Australian Cardiovascular Alliance before joining Opal um, almost two years ago. So a digital agency to help support recruitment and communication within health research. Yeah, love it. And the I want to dive into that topic a little bit more in, in this conversation today. Remind us, because Opal, no strangers to the Talking Health Tech podcast, but the, uh, explain a little bit more how you're you're helping solve some of these problems. Yeah, uh, the number one um, statistical risk behind health research is sourcing enough volunteers um, on time or under um, pre-planned budget. Um, there are different ways traditionally in which we've been able to find volunteers, and that has usually been in the domain of sites, both public and private, um, who help support clinical trials both industry and those that are are done by universities, hospitals, and institutes and others. A new way to be able to help source volunteers beyond those patient lists include um, advertising, and we're experts in being able to do that through different digital spaces, both through search engines, through um, digital advertising, so the complete online space from websites to shopping to sports to dating apps to computer games, and then what we do through social media, which some people have found relatively easy, others hugely inefficient and it's uh, evolving 
that way over the course of time. So that's what we've been able to do to help communicate health research and clinical trials with, yeah. with empathy and with accuracy. For someone that may not be familiar with the clinical trial process generally and that, and that tricky problem of recruiting people to participate in them, one might immediately think that, well, a good place to find people would be in in healthcare, not not in a video game or, or on online. So, so you mentioned too that like that's that's obviously not not enough for like you know why can't we just recruit people from within you know patients from hospitals and clinics? Oh, that can be done, um, and usually responsible for um, good proportions of our cohorts required for for health research. But we know that well over eighty percent of the time they're insufficient. One of the cool things about uh, messaging beyond a patient list, uh, participant list, will only be as um, as accurate as the kind of conditions and lived experience that any hospital or clinic will understand about them. One of the great opportunities around using uh, digital channels is that you can help across the personal referral network. So about uh, friends and family, and it could be colleagues who you might know a little bit about when it comes to lived health experience and how you might be able to uh, use different messages and hooks to be able to attract them to referrals. Effectively, word of mouth through digital space in order to to get messaging across. Uh, that can and should involve um, physicians a lot of the time. That can be obviously personal GPs and specialists that go beyond that. It's up for us to devise technologies that help with that referral network and then connect those people to a screening process and um, sites so that it's not just done empathetically again, but it's done in a, in a way that's efficient for both the participant and also the people yeah. conducting health research. Well, I guess I think about how much information people do choose to put online and, and engage with social medias and yeah. other, um, I put an S at the end of social media, it makes me sound old saying social medias, <laughs> but the, um, and, and other information that's available that then allows these, this hyper-targeting of, of, uh, advertising or, or information to, to people generally, I'm much more comfortable with, with, um, you know, potentially opportunities of like, say, clinical trials being presented to people that may not have otherwise discovered them being presented versus, you know, gambling and, and other things that can, that, you know, come up on, yeah. on socials as well. So I guess there's, on one hand, you know, you know, some people's radar or light might go off in terms of where, you know, we're, we're using social media in this health setting to try and get data from them to present trials to them. That It seems like that, that this is, this is the, like, there's, this is the way that it needs to be done. I will. I mean, how comfortable do you feel sharing just information about health? It could be kind of day-to-day kind of colds and sniffles or yeah. kind of chronic illnesses. How comfortable are you? Yeah, well, depends who it's with, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. So we have, I guess, the evolution of, um, of different channels and specific platforms that um, that we use and the adoption of different of people from different cultures, ethnicities, age ranges. Uh, mean that, yeah, and you're exactly right, What your audience, we have a lot more kind of control over what our audience can be for certain um, areas. We do, um, for our projects, we do something called social listening, which is really easy. It's a way to be able to assess what kind of language and, and kind of framing of, of health journeys and experiences that people go through and how it's communicated through different channels and social media. And again, this is something else that changes depending on your, your ethnicity and background. Uh, recently running a, a project in South America uh, where um, not just from a dialect perspective, but the way that personal health is communicated differs in Latin American Spanish to Castilian or Google Translate Spanish. So it, it actually matters to be able to understand not just the technical element of language, but then how it's framed and how we might then be able to, to reach them in a way that's non-invasive 
we don't, and we insist on not um, going through um, kind of private spaces and private groups. But there's still plenty around in what people want to do when they're trying to look for answers, both in how they might go through their own health experience and or how they are dealing or coping with those of the people around them, family, friends, etc. Yeah. I think about clinical trials and the role that they play in this broader health innovation landscape. It, they're, they're really important and right from you know pharmaceuticals through to, to med tech, even into the software side of, of healthcare technology in different ways. We're an evidence-based kind of um, industry where, you know, anyone and everyone needs needs the evidence, the proof that the thing's going to do what it's supposed to do, and also that it's safe and and ethical. And and sometimes they can't a product can't even get out of the gate without having a clinical trial being done for it or an intervention or whatever it might be. Yeah. So, uh, I would think in this current landscape of you know, r- rapid expansion of healthcare innovation and new opportunities, and and we're living in 2023. Are there a lot more clinical trials happening in Australia, or is it less? What's the which way is the line going? Yeah, yes and no. Um, so we're seeing um, a, a greater diversity of companies that can help support health research and clinical trials, from CROs to specialist consultancy services. And some areas where there are some current skills gaps in, in Australia, health economists is just one um, such example. COVID helped provide um, uh, the opportunity for Australia to contribute to uh, vaccine studies. But even since bec- before COVID, we have seen, um, and if we exclude COVID studies, a, uh, a continuing dip in the studies that Australia is hosting um, from early to, to late stage work. Um, that I haven't done, done the analysis and how that compares to other countries yet. Um, and there are probably some interesting economic reasons around why that is. Uh, one kind of easy one is what we face in terms of a broader global economic downturn and therefore the funding that will go into um, clinical trials and, and health innovation, which is still a relatively risky thing for, for smaller investors. That could mean uh, fewer opportunities for those who are willing to contribute. On the flip side of that, we know that there are um, many more people who are interested to participate in clinical trials that actually do, and there are some barriers to participation. Um, there are a few of these, and they're complex. One of them is um, language and accessibility. So when uh, any, anybody from sponsors to sites explain and want to attract people around clinical trials through whatever it might be, newspaper, TV, internet, and we know that uh, medical literacy doesn't always match um, how people are explaining the, both the advantage and what it might mean to participate in clinical trials. Mm. So one of the cool things we've done to help with that is launch uh, the world's first uh, registry um, with accessible language. So we're using um, ChatGPT models in order to reframe language information on specific clinical trials into an online registry. So people can find this on opin.ai. So that's O-P-I-N.ai with some easy search tools that, that mimic a lot of not just medical literacy, but digital literacy, that is to say, different tools and platforms that we use every day to make it easier to search for certain um, health research projects and clinical trials. And from there, um, look at what it might take to actually contribute to some of those. So we work with some companies to directly advertise for some of those clinical trials. There are well over 80,000 of those, I think, memory serves on the platform at the moment, and we certainly don't work with all of those. Um, but we're trying to basically set a precedent around how we think um, health research should be communicated in a way that's not just te- technologically efficient, but 
generally and genuinely meets the demands of the population of standard medical literacy. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? The the uh, on one hand, it's really important that the the requirements of a clinical trial and what the particip- like who the participants are and what um, pre-existing conditions they have, if any, and what star sign they are and favorite food and color and things like that. <laughs> the hyper, you know, specific requirements that that are needed for a clinical trial to then. And the purpose of doing that, I imagine, is to then have data that is supposed to be representative of the, in the end, the people who will be using such intervention. But you get out, so you've got two problems that you've kind of unpacked a little bit already, is that if people don't know in the first place that the thing exists and it's not communicated in a way that, no. you know, they know w- what's in it for them or even that the, the thing is within their wheelhouse of stuff they need to know about. But but then if the, the you know, if it's, if it's such a, a clean data set of people like life isn't that clean people have multi-morbidities people have complexities it makes sense in theory i guess in terms of this this trial process of like let's let's put together what these people might be but in the end if we're actually trying to do something that that's supposed to be representative of, po- of the population uh, we might be missing the mark yeah uh, i'm totally bang on um, scientists and researchers far, far you know, smarter than I who put together a planned synopses and then protocols on clinical trials and health research, the best ones consider lived experience. Cool. There are broader conversations around co-design, that is to say, how to incorporate the direct feedback of participants who have either experienced uh, conditions and or health research and clinical trials in that space um, and use their feedback into, into the plan. This isn't done enough. There are good conversations being done around how this could be done more. Um, and there's some fantastic professionals in Australia who, who are fantastic advocates for this. So that is kind of the ideal where it assumes who specific cohorts and those living with certain conditions, those certain economic and income backgrounds alongside then what we can do to improve diversity, which should be a business essential, not just good ethic. Um, and that's something where we're blessed in Australia, whilst I'm you know, acknowledging my space as a as a white Anglo immigrant male and my privilege, but um, the inaccessibility of health research, not just on the back of medical literacy, but for those who have limited accessibility because of uh, limited income opportunities, 
kind of greater focus when it comes to childcare and many other kind of complex issues beyond that. So these are just some, there are kind of many, many more um, issues and factors that peel into uh, why people might be interested, but what are their capacity to actually contribute and what are the demands of health research when it comes to site visits, when it comes to recording information around something they might be taking and trialing. Their altruism, everybody has a capacity when it comes to our day-to-day -day life and experience. So that's what we try and bring a focus to when we talk to sponsors around protocols and, and inclusion exclusion criteria. You, you talked about the importance of accessibility and co-design and working with those participants to to create something that's that's meaningful and inclusive and has has outcomes, you know, and that's super important in the clinical trial space. I think more broadly about healthcare and life sciences and digital health. These are these are common kind of you know issues for us to address across the spectrum. And I know that, you know, you're, you're involved across, um, you know, the, the broader industry as well in life sciences, particularly in New South Wales here. Tell me a little bit more about the stuff yeah. you're doing um, with, with Bio New South Wales now. Yeah. So I'm very proud and delighted to collaborate with Dr. Brad Walsh, who is the CEO of Glythrix and uh, Minoic in, um, in Sydney uh, and well known in his sector um, and have collaborated with him to form Buy New South Wales. Um, there are, when you look at some other states and Australia as a country, um, groups who advocate for, for industry and help connect and celebrate um, innovation. Um, in Victoria, there's Buy Melbourne Network. In Queensland, there's um, Life Sciences Queensland. And Oz Biotech also represents a, a group that, um, that uh, for life sciences nationally. Buy New South Wales fits nicely in terms of ethic around what those organizations try to do in their spaces. Um, we have the advantage of being relatively uh, young, but also with one of Austra well, Australia's largest, broader uh, economy, with more of a, a disparate um, geographical sense of different innovation hubs from Westmead to, uh, uh, to Redfern and Evely, all the way down to Wollongong and up to, to Newcastle. So whilst it, it'll be slightly more difficult to help physically connect, um, but in terms of the chasm between larger companies who call Sydney their home and then innovators and startups and researchers out of fantastic institutes and universities and all locally, we have a fantastic opportunity to help connect and, and raise a standard by which people can help commercialise fantastic innovations. We've already started that with a, a launch in, in August um, and we have a, an industry-wide um, end-of-year organisation which we are co-hosting with Oz Biotech with ARCS Australia and with MTP Connect, which will be on December 7th at the Intercontinental in, in Sydney. So for anybody who uh, would love to come along there and meet people from all over the industry, from services to innovators to biotech and medtech, very welcome. There are links through on our um, LinkedIn, so Buy New South Wales, our LinkedIn page, alongside those of Oz Biotech and ARCS Australia. Um, to register for that event. Love it. Well, we'll make sure those those details and that link is in the show notes for this episode for people to check out. And then longer, you know, thinking about, you know, beyond that that launch and the industry night and the and the stuff there, you touched on, you know, these the problems to solve in this for the, you know, there's there's members or participants in the in the Bio New South Wales um community. Uh there's you, you touched on commercialization. Is that the the kind of focus here? Yeah, totally. There are we hope that all great new ideas about products, be they drugs or, or devices, med tech, digital health. We hope that they're all judged by the actual kind of content of their character. Yeah. So the, the strength of their IP and their um, 
and their uniqueness. That's not always the case. And so there are different standards based on kind of support networks that are known or unknown to help get usually young people um, yeah, from a point of an idea through to an established business and routes to investment um, and ways that they can help develop, test, and then launch their products to to market. So well, we, one of the elements that Buy New South Wales will try to, to do, and there are some uh, kind of nice connections to my other hat with, with Opal, um, around what that tide is and what those standards of, of commercial support are. There are in New South Wales some fantastic organisations. Cicada is, is one such um, example that help with um, collaborations on courses that support business basics and, and how to get people from um, not to 60, as it were. So for anybody looking for, for ideas and support, Cicada is one example. There are others. We hope to be able to uh, create a digital platform that people can initially walk effectively through a, a corridor of the different kind of services they can get locally um, to help support them in getting set up. So we'll look forward over the course of next year to be able to help deliver that and support people with fantastic ideas in Sydney. Yeah, I love it. Um, as a Sydney cider myself, that's uh, that's that resonates with me, and we've we've done a feature episode of what's happening in Wollongong and the innovation there, and I visited the um, the team out in Liverpool at the Ingham and, and right. so on. Yeah, these innovation centres in New South Wales, it's great to be able to bring um, those different parts together, and and you know that that resonates nicely with with the way I think around talking health tech. So that's really cool. Thinking then back to Opal for a second, as we reflect on on the discussion and and those that think well you know participating in a clinical trial would be nice if if i kind of knew that these things existed like what advice do you have for those that are actively interested in participating in a clinical trial whether it just be for for being through the process or perhaps from a, a you know because there's people that un, that participate in clinical trials because you know previous interventions um, yeah. weren't successful. So how do, how do you get involved? The, the short version of the answer, because there's a long discussion around that, the short version, yeah. um, there are some fantastic Australian uh, patient advocacy groups. Um, many of them feature research advocacy as well. That is to say, they have fantastic representation and support for those going through either clear and known or relatively obscure and unknown uh, routes for diagnosis and, and healthcare. Secondary to that, as a as hopefully... With, is obvious a net benefit to those living with certain conditions and the opportunity to um, to get in front of new either therapies, prophylactics, devices that are going to uh, help them through different health journeys. That many of those patient advocacy groups um, feature research advocacy and um, help connect to health research. Opal have fantastic connections to a few of these already. Uh, Pancare and, and uh, Neuroendocrine Cancer Australia. Uh, were two such examples of these and kind of a huge kind of disparate scope of different oncology um, pathways and experiences that we've been able to to help connect to. So that's an area where um, Opal are moving not just into advertising for health research, but also building communities um, and online digital hubs that will help educate um, not on patient advocacy, but specifically to how people can help find and understand health research, both from the perspective of risks to then either burden and or the, what it would mean to participate in these and how people can find um, and get access to clinical trials based on who they are, where they are, their capacity, their digital literacy and many other different factors. There's no short answer, but um, there are some great companies um, that are trying to make a difference in the space and do it in a way that's open 
empathetic, uh, clear and, and accurate. Um, and we're lucky to do one of them. Well, Anthony, look, I'll, I'll put the details for Opal in the show notes of this episode for people to check out. And of course, you've got the directory listing on the Talking Health Tech website as a THT Plus member. We'll make sure the information for Bio New South Wales is there too for those looking to participate whether it be at the end of the year event or or into 2024 and beyond as well so i really appreciate you coming on and having a chat about these important topics mate thank you so much thank you pete thanks for having me on hey thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode if you made it this far you're the perfect person that i want to hear from our tht plus audience survey is now open until the end of june and i personally read every submission in fact If you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com. 